You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, church. So um, if you have your Bibles with you, hopefully you do, because you know you, you probably are at home or outside or something. Uh, if you will go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 24, that would be good. You'll, um, <clears throat> you'll notice, um, <laughs> uh, okay, aw, uh, McKinley um, wants to sing, I will wait for you again. That's, that's super precious. So uh, yeah, that's good. And, and um, to the person who texted and asked if this was a little bourbon, uh, it's not. It's not. I know. I know. In, I know. In a pandemic, this makes sense. Um, I, I know. I'm. A, I know. I'm a little. Uh, I know. I'm a little squirrely at times. I'm not quite that squirrely. Like I don't. I wouldn't feel comfortable drinking bourbon. You know. While I'm, while I'm here, I don't even drink bourbon. But no, this is not bourbon. But you'll see what this is later. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate. I appreciate the question. Uh, so speaking of questions, there are some questions on the Vimeo. Uh, site, I believe Garrett is posting them there. If you'll interact with those questions, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, in light of our interpretation of hope, and I want to be very specific with that, um, where are you seeing hope right now? And um, if you say that I'm seeing hope in um, uh, Christ, in the Spirit of God, what I'm asking, and that's beautiful, that's beautiful that you're seeing hope in those in, in that big a way, but, but what I'm asking is where are you seeing hope in other concrete, um, concrete practical ways? And maybe that's concrete and practical to you, and I pray that it is, actually. I hope that that is concrete and practical to you, but, but where are you seeing hope in concrete and practical ways? In light of the definition of hope that I've offered, I, and I want to talk about that this, this, uh, this morning. So, um, and we're going we're gonna to take a walk down the road to Emmaus uh, as a part of our processing this together. So Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 13. On that same day, and that is to say Easter, so this is what we know as Easter Sunday, problem is the two disciples didn't know it was Easter. They didn't know Easter had happened, right? On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and join them on their journey. And then I want you to mark verse 16. If you have your version app open and you're in the version app for us, um, this is highlighted uh, later on. But verse 16, they were prevented from recognizing him. <clears throat> or 17. He said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? And they stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? I find that to be a funny question that they're asking Jesus, uh, that question, as if he knew he's <laughs> the only visitor uh, who did not know what happened. And Jesus playing along, he, verse 19, it says, uh, He said to them, uh, What things? They said to him, The things about Jesus of Nazareth. Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests, our leaders, handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. 
We had hoped he was the only one. We had hoped, I should say, and this is important, we had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago. Listen to verse 21 again. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago. Verse 22, but there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told him he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. They didn't see him. They didn't see him. Maybe important words. And Jesus said to them, you foolish people. Your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ, which is another word for Messiah, which is another, the Jewish word for king, to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scripture, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. So let me pause. So Jesus says to them, Look, don't you know your story? Don't you know the Bible? Like, don't you know the biblical story? I mean, you know it, but don't you know it? Just let that, let that be a question that's asked of us. Verse 28, when they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead, but they urged him saying, stay with us, it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took a seat at the table with them, Listen to this formula. It sounds very Eucharistic. He took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Let me pause. This is a formula Luke uses when he talks about Jesus breaking bread. Luke is helping us expand our understanding of Eucharist here. That, that's another sermon probably uh, in teaching for another day, but, but the formula is there. The, the pattern is there. Verse 31. Their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us? And they guide up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and the companions gathered together. Now, I think by now many... Um, Pastors, preachers, teachers have taught on the road to Emmaus. I'm probably behind the curve on this. Um, and so you may have read or heard sermons from other ministers and preachers and teachers on the road to Emmaus. And there's a lot of beautiful things to, to talk about in this story. But I just want to highlight two things for our conversation this morning. You can, you can take this with you the rest of the week and unpack it even more because there's so many beautiful uh, points to, 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 I think, lift out of this story. But I want to highlight two things. Highlight number one. Is verse 16. They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them for they were prevented from recognizing him. And this has always given me trouble because the text tells us that they were prevented from seeing Jesus and it doesn't tell us why, how and it doesn't really even tell us why. It just tells us that for whatever reason, whether God did it or whether their emotions did it, um, some translations will say God did it. Some translations leave that uh, open because the text, I think, leaves it open. Um, I, I'm not sure why uh, they, they were prevented. That is the language, prevented. It doesn't say unable. The language there is incapable at that moment of seeing Jesus. And again, I, I don't know why. I'm not sure. But I have an idea, 
and I want to put this idea out to you, and then you decide what to do with it. Here's my idea. Maybe they were prevented from seeing Jesus not only to teach them something, but to actually teach us as the readers of the story, as the hearers of the story, to teach us this. Stay with me. That our eyes are not our source of hope. Hear me out. Our eyes are not our source of our hope. I can't see the air I breathe, but I know I can breathe. I can't see heat when I am cold, but I can begin to feel warm. I mean, except in my house at night where my wife turns the AC up to like 64 and I have to sleep in a hoodie. But other than that, like I can't see these things. But I know because my life functions whether I see it or not. Here's, here's what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe God knows that we tend to latch on to our meanings interpreta- and interpretations of what we see. That those meanings and interpretations that we latch on then disable us from seeing what we really need to see. You feel me? Like, have, you ever, have you ever been in that situation where, where you see something and you already have an, a meaning and an interpretation of what you see that you can't actually see beyond what you see? Like, that's it. That's as far as you can go. We can't see what's really happening sometimes, even what's right in front of us, because we're already predisposed. We've already made up our mind. We already have a meaning and interpretation of what we see that it can't be anything else. I mean, we do it all the time in society. We see somebody do something, but because we've already questioned their motives, <coughs> because we already believe the least of their motives, maybe because of their vocation or what they do, we already have a meaning attached to their job that's already interpreted what they're doing, even if that's not actually what they're doing. The fact is, we interpret what we see in light of what we know. It's how we approach reality. So when it rains outside and it's gray and it's cloudy, we see a rainy, dreary day. We don't see that rain makes the flowers grow tomorrow. Right? We, when we see rain, we see rain after rain after rain after rain after rain after rain. We just see boring and we see frustrating and we see wet and we see dreary and lazy. But we don't see sometimes that it's rain that nourishes the earth and that, that there are countries and places in this world who would long for that kind of rain. We don't see that because all we see is what we've attached to a rainy day which is dreary and, and gray and maybe even depressing. The fact is we interpret what we see in light of what we know. And we also interpret what we don't see in light of what we know. Where if we don't see someone do something we think we should see, we then make a decision on that. And we have an interpretation of the meaning behind that. And we assign a a motive or an intent or an agenda to that. Here's what I mean. When you know a room in your house, in your home, I mean, you really know a room. You know where the table is, is, is laid out. You know where the chairs are. You know where the TV is. Whatever you have, you know where the things are in the room. And you just know that room because you spend a lot of time in that room. When the lights are out, can you navigate that room? Yeah. Will you bump into some things? Yeah. But do you know 
generally how to navigate it. Like when you walk in the dark, you can feel, you know the table's right around here. So you just start feeling for the table, right? And you can walk around the table. Versus when you don't know a room at all and it's dark, what happens? You bump into everything. But when we know a room, we know it. Even when we can't see it, we can see it. And I think that's what's happening here. See, I think part of the problem is that the two disciples, they knew the biblical story, but they didn't really know the biblical story. And they could see Jesus, but they couldn't really see Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus the whole time. And I think Jesus ties their ability to see to their inability to know deeply the biblical story. Living our lives without a deep understanding of the biblical story, where all we know it is through devotionals, but not through study and reading and devotionals, Living our lives without a deep understanding of the biblical story is like playing a game of cards with a 32-card deck. We're never going to enjoy the game because it takes 52 cards to play the game. And we're going to show up to every table all the time with a 32-card deck, always wishing we could play the full round of the game. And that everybody who tries to play with us is going to be miserable. But if we know the biblical story, then maybe, maybe we'll be able to see when we can't see. Maybe that's part of what the text teaches us. That we need to know God's story of grace. We need to know God's story of mercy. We need to know God's promises. Because when we can't see God's goodness, we'll be able to trust His grace because we know the story. When we can't see God move, we'll be able to trust His mercy because we know the story. And when we can't see God's presence, we'll be able to trust His promises because we know the story. See, I think what, one of the things we learn on the road to Emmaus <laughs> is that Jesus was there. They didn't see and they didn't know, but He was there. And at the end of the day, what we learn in this story is that maybe part of why they couldn't see and part of why they didn't know is because they just had ultimately lost hope. See, this is where I think hope comes in. Look at, look at verse 21. We all hoped that he was the one who could redeem and rescue Israel. We all hoped. Past tense. It's over. It's done. For them, there's no Easter. What kind of world would that be? A world without Easter. We had all hoped. We see the tragedy. I hear about the story in Taraqua. You just it's easy to let my hope, which should be present active tense, turn into past tense. But if I know the biblical story, stay with me. If I know the biblical story, maybe my hope has a better chance, a better chance of remaining in the, pa- in the present active and future tense than just the past tense. And, and here's what I mean. So you see this, uh, see this, this, this bourbon? It's actually mortar oil. So here's the, what the biblical story teaches us. Let's say this glass is the world. 
All right, let's say this class is the world. <coughs> the biblical story teaches us that the world is under the reign of sin and death. The biblical story teaches us that the world is under the influence and sway of the one that Jesus calls the ruler of this world. You need to check it out. In your version app, I got a whole, I got a whole like side Bible study at the bottom of that for you to look this up. But the biblical story teaches us that the world is under the influence and sway of the one Jesus called the ruler of this world. John 12, 14, 16. That, in other words, the enemy is at work in the world and the reign of sin and death is in charge. This is life. This is the world. It's the reign of sin and death. The age, in this age, the world will not attain any perfection of any kind. It just cannot do it because the reign of sin and death is in charge. That is the biblical story. Look at it, that's the biblical story. Now, if you think about that then, this notion of progress, it's just a myth. Because the progress we hope for cannot be attained because the world is irrevocably broken in this way. This age is. This age of the world is broken. The reign of sin and death is at work in the world. Now, Easter teaches us that in the resurrection of Jesus, the biblical story tells us that the kingdom of God broke in. The kingdom of God broke into this world. And now we are able to see. Look at the bottom of the cup. You see how the, the water makes it to the bottom of the cup. We can see now. Before we couldn't see clearly because of the brokenness of the world, but now we can see. And now a new foundation to reality has been set as the kingdom of God is broken in. A new foundation of the world has been laid. But notice that the reign of sin and death doesn't go away. It is still top layer stuff it's still at work in the world and when life happens and tragedy strikes and stirs our lives all up look at what happens the reign of sin and death seeps down into our experience of the kingdom of god but the easter story tells us that the kingdom of god will settle that you see it settles back up and then and then tragedy strikes and it mixes all into the kingdom of god again but then Easter tells us it will settle back up. And this is our hope. Our hope is that we know that we live in a foundation of a different kind of reality. What I'm saying is we often forget that there is a new reality at work in the world that is more real than the reality that we often see. So when we see death, we see finality. But with resurrection eyes, we see changing neighborhoods. When we see failure, we see finality, but with resurrection eyes, we see begin again. This is what we learn. It's that the kingdom of God is broken in, but there is a reign of sin and death at work in the world. The enemy is in control of the Babylon of this world. The enemy is in control. Uh, he is the principalities and powers and the rulers of this age. He is the God of this age, as Paul says. He is at work. He is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is, as 1 John 5, 19 says, the ruler of this world. 
and the world is under his control. There is a reign of sin and death that is active and that is at work and always will be until when? Until Jesus comes again and as 1 Corinthians 15 says, puts it all under his feet, even death, the final enemy of God, the Bible says, is put at his feet, man. Put at his feet and then the reign of sin and death is no more. If I had a separator, I'd separate the oil from the water and it would just be water, just be clear. But I don't have a separator so the illustration fails. But that being said, you can see here, right now where we live, there are two realities at work. Hope, hope, hope as I am trying to define it for us is the ability to reinterpret reality in light of the resurrection and the power it holds so that even when things don't turn out as expected, we may accept reality, burdens and all, and choose to be a compassionate and faithful presence anywhere. Hope is the ability to reinterpret. It's the ability to call back on the biblical story, to remember Easter at that moment and reinterpret what I see in light of the Easter story. Hope is about reinterpretation. Now what that supposes is that our interpretations are often wrong. Just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, their interpretation was just wrong. They had not settled into the biblical story. They had made an assumption and a determination and an interpretation of what they saw in the, in the cross. And then they had attached a meaning in the person's identity that they saw walking with them on the road. And they could not see Jesus right in front of them. We need to reinterpret reality in light of the reality of the kingdom of God that the biblical story tells us is more real than the reality we experience here, now. And when we believe that, when we have hope in that, when we have that ability to reinterpret what we see in light of what we believe in the resurrection and power, we experience a different reality at that point. That's all, that's, that's all I wanted to say today is how are you interpreting things? How are you interpreting the circumstances of your life? How are you interpreting the situations surrounding your life? How are you interpreting the consequences of the virus and the pandemic? Now, what I wanted to do is I wanted to offer a practice. All right, so I have a, I have a spiritual practice that I think can help us uh, in our interpretation, like help us reinterpret in light of the kingdom of God at work. All right, and I call this the, <clears throat> excuse me, the TGIF of practicing hope because I'm cheesy like that. But I was trying to give you a, a, a way to remember this. The TGIF of practicing hope. John, is this going to come up on the screen at this point? Okay, so, <clears throat> so uh, it's going to come up on your screen. So here's what the TGIF of practicing hope is. So I suggest that if you find yourself in a place where the circumstances or situation is getting the better of you, and you are no longer reinterpreting what you see in light of the biblical story, that you then pick up the TGIF of practicing hope. So I suggest four texts, okay? Four texts. Colossians 1, 13 through 17, Romans 8, 18 through 30, Micah 6, verse 8, and Psalm 62, verses 1 through 12. I would encourage you to let any one of these four biblical texts be your go-to text for this practice, and I'm gonna walk you through the practice, okay? So here's what I would do. Here's what I do. I'll, Colossians 1 is my go-to always. Colossians 1, 13 to 17, I'll read it. 
God rescued us from the controlling reign of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. Because all things were created by Him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He existed before all things, and all things are held together in Him. So here's how the practice works. You read the text out loud one, two, or three times. So you read it once and you pause. And you listen for a phrase or a word that lifts out of the text for you. Okay? So you read it once. A word or a phrase. Is there a word or phrase that jumps out? That's the first question to ask. And if it does, then just go ahead and ask yourself question number two. You'll see it on the screen. What do you see and hear in that word or phrase? So let me give you an example. So let's say that for me, and all things are held together in him is the phrase that sticks out to me. All things are held together in him. So that phrase sticks out. So I'm going to sit with that phrase for a moment in the quiet. And then I'm going to ask, what do I see or hear in that word or phrase? In light of my situation, so let's say that my bank account is low. Uh, let's say that the bill collectors hadn't stopped. Um, and let's say I can't find toilet paper anywhere because I can't. Um, and let's say that's kind of stressing me out because we have people in our home. Let's say uh, that I don't know if I have the money to buy the toilet paper, right? Let, let's say that that's my situation. It's a financial circumstance. All things are held together in him. What do I hear and see in that word or phrase? I hear and see that Christ holds my finances together, that his provision holds my life together. There are moments in time in my life where I did not have, but then I had what I needed because Christ provided in the most unorthodox ways. And now my mind goes back to the time where there was money in an envelope in our mailbox. True story. Or where there was uh, a gift card sent in the mail. True story. Right? And then I ask question number three. How does that word or phrase, <clears throat> how does that word or phrase or what you see or hear from that word or phrase invite you to reinterpret what you see or hear in your present reality? So then I hear that word or phrase that all things are held together in him. And it says all things, and all things includes my life, my finances, my world, my family. And then I take all that's stressing me out. And I take all of that and I submit it to that word or phrase. And then what I do is I let that word or phrase set my agenda for prayer for the whole day. For the whole day. This, this, this word or phrase sets my agenda for prayer all day long. And then you do the T-G-I-F. The T, you take that word or phrase into the situation and circumstance of your day. You just take it with you. So what you do is you screenshot the word or phrase or you write it on a memo or you write it on a post-it note or you write it on your hand and you take that word or phrase intentionally throughout the day with you. And then you G. You glance at the word or phrase throughout the day. You make time. Maybe you, you set rhythms. So maybe every time, and I'm not trying to be funny, maybe every time you go to the bathroom, you decide after you wash your hands for 20 seconds, probably 30 seconds, sing happy birthday three times or say the Lord's Prayer three times, you know, wash your hands. And you do that, you then decide that at that moment, I'm going to pull my phone out and I'm going to read the word or phrase. And I'm going to let that guide my prayer. Or maybe you decide that you're going to look at the word or phrase every time you snack or every time you eat lunch. Or when you eat a meal throughout that day. Or maybe every time you change a baby's diaper. Or maybe every time you have to correct the child. 
Um, so for some of us, you know, like me with snacking, maybe for some of us correcting children, we'd be looking at this word or phrase like 25 times a day. But that's the point. And we let it guide our hearts. And then letter I, we internalize it. We internalize it. Every time I read the word or phrase, I internalize it. I say, what? What am I hearing, God? What am I hearing? And then I do letter F. I fix my interpretation of what I am feeling and seeing in the world in light of what that scripture or word and phrase reveals. And what I think that can do is it can reinterpret our situation because of the hope we have in Christ. And then we practice hope. Because here's the thing about biblical hope. It is meant to be practiced. It isn't just something we hold. It is something we live from. And I have found that the TGIF of practicing hope has been a helpful practice for me. So, we read the text. We ask the three questions of the text. What word or phrase jumps out? What do you see or hear in this word or phrase? And how does what I see and hear in this word or phrase invite me to reinterpret my situation or circumstance or what I heard on the news? And then I do the TGIF. I take it into my day. I glance at it often. I internalize it. And then I fix my situation and circumstance in light of that interpretation of that word or phrase. Brother and sister, if you want to live out faith, it's going to take some discipline and intentionality. So this is going to take intentionality. It's going to take purposefulness. So maybe when some of you call me from time to time and say, pray for me, I'm struggling or whatever, I'm going to say, practice hope. Use the TGIF practice of hope. And at that point, we're going to have to make decisions to do that so that we can reinterpret what we are seeing and feeling in light of the resurrection and His power, even when things don't work out as we expect burdens and all, so that we may live fully into the life that God has given so that we can see even in the midst of the reign of sin and death. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 